So this morning we're continuing on in the book of Second Corinthians. We are in chapter 3. We go through the, the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And uh, primarily in the, on Sundays, New Testament. Primarily on Wednesdays, the Old Testament. We're going to be starting the book of Isaiah in two weeks. This next Wednesday, a night of praise and worship and prayer and body ministry here among us. And so uh, that we're going to be trying to re- reincorporate that uh, once a month, the first Wednesday of each month. And so it's a real special time, real important time for us to learn how to be quiet before God, how to worship Him, how to listen for the leading of the Holy Spirit, to share scriptures with one another, to share prayer with one another. And so it's a real body ministry kind of thing that we're aiming at. And so invite you to join us for that as well. So Second Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual children. And uh, they... Um, are headstrong and stubborn and sometimes very carnal spiritual children. And so let me read here verses 1 to 11. That's as far as we're going to go this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even if what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So let's pray once again before we start and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be leaning into you. I pray that as we are here, Anything that you would bring to mind to us, Lord, into our hearts, into our minds, God, we would uh, submit to you, that we would be obedient, that we would trust you, that we wouldn't be afraid, that we would be hopeful, that we would expect, Lord, that uh, and believe that you want to do good things in us, Lord, healing of all sorts, Lord. You want to change us for good, and then you want to use us, Lord. And so uh, we, we commit this time to you, Lord. Thank you that you care so much, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is entitled, God Makes Us Sufficient. And the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians, it's a very autobiographical book. It's very, and it's like, almost like you're reading his, his personal journal or diary. Uh, he's, he's sharing things here that, that are just really open and he really shares his heart and explains the struggles that he has in serving Jesus Christ, not because of Jesus, but because of people and because of Satan. And so 
Very, very open book. I, I really love the transparency of this book. I've been saying it and I'll keep saying it. Uh, if anyone would ever think that the Bible isn't relevant, I'll tell you, just read through this book and take your time and read through it and, and, and hear the heart of a man who's saying, you know, sometimes life is really, really hard, but God is really, really good. And he kind of keeps saying this over and over again. My paraphrase, of course, but he, that's, the, that's the essence of one of the main thrusts of this book, how good God is and how hard life is sometimes. Now, um, he's saying here, you see in your Bibles this word epistle, uh, for instance, verse, uh, well, verse 1, you see the word letters. It's, it's supplied by the translators. You see in verse 2, epistle, uh, verse 3, epistle. Epistle is just another word for letter, or, and he's talking here of letters of recommendation. So historically, if you want to kind of follow along in your notes here, let me kind of work through this. The Corinthians were, were doubting Paul. He was their spiritual father, and yet some other people had come in and kind of trash-talked Paul and spoken ill of him. And as a result, they began to have doubts about him. We know from kind of a conglomeration of scriptures that the apostle Paul, when he was in, in your presence, he wasn't an overpowering figure. He didn't come into a room and all, all the voices kind of hushed and everybody stopped and waited for him to speak. He wasn't, uh, history tells us he wasn't a large man, he was a smaller man, kind of bent over, a frail man. And so he would, when he would walk into a room, uh, he, he didn't have a commanding presence. And, and in fact, these letters tell us that, that he was accused of, of when you're with, with us, I mean, you're just not impressive. You write really good letters, you know, you write really good letters here, but, you know, your, your, your presence is just not so commanding. And they begin to have a lot of doubt about him. They begin to even doubt if he was really an apostle or sent from God, if he was really chosen by God uh, to do what he does, do what he did. And so he's talking here in verse 1, do we begin to commend ourselves do we begin again to commend ourselves? Go back um, to verse 17 in chapter 2. Paul says, We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. There were other apostles, other preachers, other itinerant uh, you know, pastors, if you will, evangelists. And they were traveling the circuits and working the churches. And, and some of them weren't sent by God at all. And they were taking advantage of people and they were defrauding the churches and receiving money that they shouldn't receive. They were peddling the word of God. They were diluting the word of God to make it palatable and then happily receiving or probably even encouraging financial donations. So Paul says, well, we're not doing that. What, what we say we mean. We speak it simply and we speak it honestly. And then he kind of catches himself and he says, oops, am I bragging? You know, am I commending myself again? And then he just kind of runs with the thought in verse 1, do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? We're not like those guys, but oops, am I bragging? Do I need to bring a reference letter from somebody? Or do I need to get a reference letter from you to go to another church? And historically speaking, this was common because there were itinerant pastors, itinerant preachers, itinerant apostles, evangelists, so on, and they would go from church to church and somebody might come to your church and, and say, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm an apostle sent by Jesus Christ, I'm here to share the, the gospel. And, and if you didn't know him, you, you, you wouldn't know if you would have received this guy into the church or not. Same thing happens today. I get emails sometimes uh, from people inviting themselves to come and teach here. <laughs> Unless I know them, it's like, you know, mm, probably not, you know. 
And sometimes if I feel like I need to research them and, and there's a possibility, I will. But this was the kind of thing that would happen if an if a apostle or a preacher evangelist showed up. If he brought letters of recommendation and said, the apostle Paul recommends me, suddenly they have some credibility. So this is what would happen. Churches would expect letters of recommendation from such men. Paul here is being criticized by those whom he fathered into the faith. He birthed them into the faith. And now they are criticizing him. Imagine being a parent. Hopefully this hasn't happened to any parents, but imagine being a parent and you raise a child and then suddenly that, that one day that child goes, I'm not sure if, if you're my dad or not. You know, I don't know about you. And it's just, wow, are you kidding? I've watched you come into the world. You know, it's that kind of thing. And that's the kind of criticism that he was up against. He's asking them in verse one, basically, do I need to prove my ministry of all people to you? Do I need to bring a letter from somebody to you? And so it was a role, that's, that's how awkward things were. So I want you, want you to feel the human drama here. It's always important to, to feel the human drama because this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. It have, this was real life, real place, real people, real emotions. The man that they eagerly sat and listened to teach the Bible for 18 months, now they were saying, we don't know if we can trust you. Paul's saying, really? What happened? You know, why, why suddenly don't you trust me? That was, that was the challenge. In verse 2 and 3, you are our epistle. You, you're the letter of recommendation that we have, he says. You're written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly a letter of recommendation. You are openly and seen. He says, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Look at your notes there. We read in, in Acts chapter eight, 18, it says this, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in, in, in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. He was their dad. He was the one that, that brought the gospel message to the Corinthians. They were, they were saved from hell because he showed up. And God was using this man who was extremely gifted, but also, don't forget, extremely submissive and available to God. And he brought the gospel message. And people believed it and they got saved and their lives were, were changed. In Corinth, there were thousands of temples to, immor to immoral worship of, of, of Roman and Greek goddesses. All kinds of promiscuity going on in these temples. If you think, you know, our culture is bad today, way worse then. You know, we, we have our cultural problems with morality but I don't know any churches that are open this morning where people are going and doing immoral things in the name of religion, sexually immoral things. You know, That's how it was back then. If you think we're challenged now, it was really challenging back then. And so Paul was there, birthed them into the faith, saved them out of that. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles were done in their churches. Radical things were happening. And it was because Paul said, here I am, God use me. And God used him. And then here, a couple of years later, they're saying, we don't know if we can trust you. That had to hurt. Had they forgotten all that he had done 
that God had done through Paul, apparently they had. Not only were they not appreciative, they were accusatory. You can do something great for someone and they don't appreciate it. You might feel you know, slighted and you might have your feelings hurt, but when they turn around and accuse you of doing wrong, that's just really amplified. The emotion, can, are you feeling it? You got to feel it. <laughs> this was a real struggle, real life struggle that Paul was going through. Look at, look at the, the, the verse down below that, 1 Corinthians 4.15. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, all these people coming through the church, all these people teaching you, all these people passing through the church all the time, though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. He's, Paul, Paul had to tell them, you're, you're the, you're, I'm the reason, I, I'm the, I was the tool that God used to bring you to faith. And so he's wondering, do I have to bring letters of recommendation? And he says, I don't need to bring paper. You guys are my recommendation. Look at verse 2 there. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Written in our hearts, known and read. Paul carried the Corinthians with him in his heart. You are a letter that I carry in my heart. If you've ever ministered to someone, if you've ever loved someone and helped them, though distance separates you, you know, the reality of a strong love for them doesn't separate you. You guys know what I mean, right? You're carrying someone in your heart. Others might say, reach into their coat and say, here's my letter of recommendation. Paul would reach in his, into his heart and say, here's my love for you. That's my letter of recommendation. And oh, by the way, I can stand and look at you. You are my letter of recommendation. You are the proof of my ministry. You are the proof. You are the living proof. Not written with, with pen and ink, but you are the living proof. Writ, done by the Holy Spirit. Written by the Holy Spirit on your hearts. Your lives are the proof of my ministry. I'm looking at, at the authentication, the verification, the validation of my calling. I'm looking at it and it's you. In verse 3, Paul shows both sides of the work of God among the Christians. He says, you were ministered by us. And so the work of God happens through people. Sometimes people will come and say to me, Pastor Bill, wouldn't it be great if Cornerstone started doing this? And you kind of know that's a trap that you've laid for yourself, right? If you say that, I'll say, oh, praise the Lord. I'm so thankful God's raising you up. Now, that, might, that might make you shy away. I'm just teasing about that. I may say it, but I'm teasing. Sometimes some of you have some really good ideas that will be carried out by other people. And so you can bring ideas to us. Love to hear good ideas. We may or may not have the people to do it. Ministry requires people. And sometimes some of you might think, well, why isn't the church doing this or why isn't the church doing that? It's not that it's not in our hearts, maybe. Maybe we've actually been praying about it and thinking about it and wishing we could do something. But ministry requires people. Ministry requires hands and feet and mouths and hearts and ears and eyes. It requires people. And so Paul says here, you were ministered by us. Paul was involved. He said, here I am, Lord, use me. Not written, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. The work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the Corinthians produced their salvation, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. He's going to take on a theme here that we're going to see. He's saying, the work that happened in you didn't happen on the outside, it happened on the inside. You can be involved in religion and 
somebody can tell you if you want to be serious with God, if you want to be, you know, if you want God to take you seriously, you better dress a little better and you better, you better cut that hair, boy, or you better, you know, go lighter on the makeup lady and that skirt needs to be down by the ankles. And I'm not, all of those things are fine. You know, haircuts and long skirts are all fine, but that's all outward stuff. Or you better change your diet or, you, you know, all the things you shouldn't do. No movies, no music, no dancing or, you know, all that, all that external stuff. You can go through all of that, but that doesn't touch the heart. And what Paul is saying here is, God has used us to touch your hearts. And I don't need letters of recommendation. You're the proof. Look at verse 4. He says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase translation, I really like how he says it. Look at your notes. He says, We dare to say such things because of the confidence we have in God through Christ. I like that he says it that way. Okay, I'm going to talk about myself for a minute, not patting myself on the back, also not putting myself down. I'm just being neutral. Somebody might come up and say to me, Hey, Bill, who do you think you are? Who made you pastor? How do you think you're a pastor? I'd say, well, on this side over here, if you're saying I'm an idiot, sometimes I agree. I'm insecure. Sometimes I'm not very sensitive. Sometimes I'm selfish. And, you know, we could probably make an accurate list of all my failures over on this side. And there's probably still some you don't know about. But on this side, how do I know I'm a pastor? Look around. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm, I'm simply a tool that God uses. Look around for 25 years. Go down to Mexico with me and look on, see what's going on down there. I'm not patting myself on the back. Paul's going to say here in a minute, our sufficiency isn't from ourselves, it's from God. God makes us sufficient. But if, if somebody said, well, who made you, pastor? I would say, well, the Lord. Well, how do I know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, who, well, who, who made uh, Paul Schrader the treasurer of the church? Paul, raise your hand, everybody looking over behind your shoulder. No, raise, keep it up. Look around. Look. Yeah, stand up, Paul. We're going to applaud you. Stand up. I command you. Stand up. Yeah. Hey, Paul. <laughs> well, who made you treasurer? Praise the Lord. God did. <laughs> I'm 61 years old. I've never balanced a checkbook in my life and it's going to stay that way. <laughs> I delegate things or pray that somebody will step in. Who made Paul t- to help oversee the finances of the church? God did. Why is it that we uh, are, not, are, are thrifty in our spending and use our money wisely? Because God has raised up people to help keep, we keep one another accountable. And that's why we're not That's why we don't have to beg for money. We have an offering box in the back you should give to the Lord, but we don't have to beg for money because the money that he gives us are our responsible people called by the Lord, etc., etc., etc. What has God called you to do? Somebody might say, well, who who are you to teach my kid in the classroom? And, And a teacher would say, all these 10 little kids are excited when I walk into the classroom. There's There's the proof. There's the ministry right there. There's, there's the proof of my calling. Ministry takes people, but the validation of ministry, generally speaking, is fruit and results. 
There is an exception. Jeremiah was in the Old Testament, preached for you know many, many, many years with no, uh, no converts and, and nothing but opposition. But generally speaking, if somebody is called by God to do something, there's evidence that can be seen. And conversely, you know, uh, if somebody uh, is not called and somebody's trying to insert themselves into a ministry, uh, there isn't evidence. You know, if I, if I suddenly said, Paul, um, I'm going to take over the books. <laughs> you could hear that train wreck five miles away. It would be disastrous. How, how, well, how do you know I'm not called to take over the books? Because the bank's been calling. <laughs> there would be evidence. You guys with me? There's evidence when God calls us to do something. There's also ne- evidence when, he, when we're not called and we're trying to force something. And these guys are saying, who are you, Paul? And he goes, your dad. Remember? 18 months with you? Well, do you have any letters of recommendation? He goes, yeah, you. You're the letters of recommendation. Well, you're kind of arrogant to say that. He goes, yeah, you know what? I dare say, I'm, I dare say such things because I have confidence in God. Because he made me sufficient. He called me. That's what he's saying here. Look at verse 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul recognized that apart from Jesus, he couldn't change anybody's life. Guys, I, honestly, I know that, that apart from God working in my life, I could never pastor a church. You know, if you're going on raw material, there's not a lot to work with here. <laughs> You know, I'm not trying to put myself down or lift myself. I'm not just—it's the Lord, right? How is it? You know, love bragging on my wife. How is it that she's able to to minister to the ladies? The Lord has called her. When when we started the church 25 years ago, she she headed up the children's ministry uh, in our bedroom. We met in our house. We had 17 people, I think, on our first Sunday and. I did music and preached and she did the kids in the bedroom. I think some of those kids are growing up now here and they're, they're here, you know. And somebody could, and I remember t- telling Debbie, I think the Lord might be raising you up to do women's ministry. She goes, never. <laughs> There's fruit there, right? So if you're called to do something and God's calling you and somebody challenges you, not to pat yourself on the back because you're, because you're not the one that makes yourself sufficient. Jesus makes you sufficient, right? Look at the word sufficient here uh, under letter C, number three. The word sufficient is translated competent, able, or worthy. God's the one that makes us worthy or able or competent to do the things that he calls us to do. If he calls you, he equips you. And he'll enable you and then, give you, and then he'll begin to stir up a desire in your heart to do these things. And so Paul here is very, very careful to say, look at verse 4, reading, we're going to keep moving. And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Look at J.B. Phillips' translation again. We dare to say such things. I dare to say such a thing, Corinthians. I am called. You're, you're the proof. And I dare such, say such a thing because of the confidence we have in God through Christ. He's made me worthy. He's made me able. He's made me competent. I have his mark of approval on my life and you're the living proof that that's true. He kind of changes gears here a little bit, but not really. How's that for a 
paradoxical statement. Verse 6, who also made us sufficient and ministers of the new covenant. Now he introduces a new idea which we're going to explore. He made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Look at your notes. The word covenant, here's the definition. Excuse me. A covenant is an arrangement made by one party with plenary, made by one party with absolute power, which the other party may accept or reject, but cannot alter. A covenant offered by God to man was no compact between two parties coming together on equal terms. We're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the old covenant, the old agreement between God and man, particularly God and the nation of Israel. Secondarily, we're going to talk about the new covenant. And at the end of our time together, we're going to celebrate communion and, and enjoy the blessings of that new covenant. David Gusick says, covenant is not a negotiated settlement, but a divine decree. So a covenant is one-sided. The old covenant was the laws of God given to the Jews. Now Israel was established as a theocracy. The nation of Israel was indeed a nation whose civic laws and religious experience were blended together. Their religion affected their their judicial system and their judicial system was tied directly to their faith in God and their their relationship with God. The two things were, you couldn't separate them. They They were one together the same. God gave his laws to Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. How many of you saw that in the movie? (laughs) Charlton Heston, a.k.a. Moses. Moses, a.k.a. Charlton Heston. He goes up the mountain. God lets him see just the vapor trail of God. God writes with his finger on two stone tablets the the laws of God. Charlton Heston comes down. He's glowing. He's just... His whole appearance has changed. He's just a different guy. I mean, you get that close to the glory of God and your appearance changes, you know. And so that was the old covenant. And in a nutshell, and I'm going to keep it short today, the old covenant said this to the nation of Israel, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. It was, it was, it was blessings or cursings, blessings or discipline or punishment, based on obedience, based on performance. And when the nation of Israel would wander away, God would stop the rain, God would destroy their crops, God would allow invading armies to come and, and fight them, and so on and so forth. When they obeyed, the rain would come, so on and so forth. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that. The Old Covenant is all about, i got to make it happen. God's, God's laws are good. Guys, if, if, the, if, the, if our nation obeyed the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't need a police force. We wouldn't need divorce court. We wouldn't need lawyers. Uh, we wouldn't need any of these things. We wouldn't need a military. If, if the whole world obeyed the Ten Commandments, we'd be living in utopia. It'd be like the Garden of Eden again. God's laws are good. The speed limit laws are good. I say that because I believe it, not because I feel it. I've never had an officer, I appreciate law enforcement, but I've never had an officer pull me over and say, Mr. Walden, we just wanted to thank you for obeying the speed limit. just wanted to thank you. The, the law doesn't do that. The law pulls you over when you violate. Now, speed limits are good because it pe- keeps people driving at a safe rate of speed. 
But you never get commended for doing the right thing. You only get judged for doing the wrong thing. That's how the law works. And that's okay. The law is good. The Ten Commandments, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the laws of God are holy, just, and good. So the Old Covenant, all the laws of God, holy, just, and good. But if you blow it, you blow it too much, God's going to deal with you. That's the Old Covenant. He says here something that's real important for us in verse 6. The New Covenant. He made us, he, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the New Covenant, not of the letter, not of, not of the written word, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now just, just note, note this, okay? He's not saying to throw away your Bibles and just kind of be led by the Spirit, okay? The law of God and the Spirit of God are absolutely joined together. The Spirit of God reminds us of what the law of God says. The Spirit of God reminds us the principles of God. Thou shalt not kill in the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament. There were some laws that were specific for the nation of Israel, but the ones that, that have transmigrated over to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit knocks on our hearts and says, hey, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. You shouldn't do these things. You shouldn't have you know, a relationship outside of your marriage. You shouldn't be drunk. You shouldn't be doing these things. The Spirit of God is activating our hearts about the things written in the Old Testament. The Old Testament law, guys, when I'm driving down the highway and it says speed limit 65, that sign does nothing to help me. If I got out and just hugged the sign, oh, I love you sign, do you love me? You're so stiff. Do you lo- you're so cold. Do you love, oh, just change my heart sign. You like that? <laughs> kind of a gang pose, wasn't it? The sign doesn't change my heart. It just warns me. And then it gives the police officer permission <laughs> to come and write me a ticket. The sign doesn't change my heart. But, but, it, but, but the information is good. What changes my heart? The Spirit of God. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead you into truth, he'll guide you into truth, that he'll come and inhabit you, he'll come and indwell you. And Paul here is talking about two ways that he has served God in the past. Paul used to serve God according to the Old Testament. Paul was, let's turn the page over. Well, I didn't list those verses that I was going to share with you. I took a detour here. Look, look at verse 6 here in the text. I'll, I'll pick up my thought here. Paul says, He's made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, of the, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Just follow along. These verses really help us understand the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. These are Old Testament scriptures here. Jeremiah 31. God said to the nation of Israel, under the old covenant, under the law, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of, the, out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Notice, guys, this describes the conditions of the new covenant. I will put my spirit within you. 
When a person becomes a Christian, the Spirit of God moves right into them. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God says in the future, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. I'll give you a desire to do what the sign says. And I'll give you the ability to do what the sign says. I'll give you the power and the inspiration to do what the sign says. The sign can't give you the power. The sign's good, but the sign can't change your heart. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll change your heart. Notice Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, notice, and cause you to walk in my statutes and, and and you will keep my judgments and do them. The old covenant couldn't change your heart, but the new covenant does. The old covenant was one-sided. God said, do this and you'll be blessed. Do this and you're going to suffer the consequences. The new covenant says, you can't even keep the law. The new covenant says, Jesus came to die for your sins. If you'll receive the pardon for your sins, your sins are washed away. Your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You're like a newborn babe in the eyes of God. Not only that, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to will and to do according to my good pleasure. I will give you such a heart change and enable you to do those things that humanity could never do without a heart transformation. And when Paul was a Pharisee, he served, he said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, according to to righteousness and the law. I was far above all my contemporaries. I did all of that, he says, but I traded all away. I counted all as rubbish to enjoy the righteousness that I find in Christ. Paul served God. This is the point that I'm getting and that I think he's making here. And I didn't see it for a long time until late last night. He says, I used to serve under my own power. I was over here working hard. I was counting out nine mustard seeds for me and one for God. Ten piece, or nine pieces of mint leaf for, for me, one for God. I was tithing. I was doing all these things. I was busy all the time. I was so zealous I was even chasing down Christians. I got, I got a permission from the religious authorities to imprison them. I held people's coats when they killed the first Christian. The first Christian martyr, he applauded it. He says, but you know what? I was serving under my own power and I wasn't right with God. I thought I was keeping the signs. Outwardly I was keeping the signs, but inwardly I wanted to destroy the sign. I wanted to tear the sign down. I wanted to just you know, imprison the people that made the sign. I was doing all the things right on the outside, but on the inside I was a mess. I was dirty before God. And I was serving God under my own power. And that's why I think Paul is so careful to say, look at verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Who made us sufficient? Hey Paul, who do you think you are? Who made you an apostle? Well, God. Well, how do we know? Look around. (laughs) Well, who gave you permission? You think you can just make yourself the... My sufficiency isn't from me, it's from God. And oh, by the way, I know what it's like to have to serve God under your own power. Did it for years. It's rubbish. I enjoy the righteousness that I have in Christ now. Can you see the difference? That's what he's saying. He says, you know, he's saying to these Corinthians, God's changed my life and that's why I'm serving him. And and you're the proof. And I know what it's like to be a self-made man, but I was a self-made man that was in distant relationship from God. Look at Luke 22 in your notes. This is, this is Jesus at the, at, the, at the Last Supper. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is right before the cross. 
For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body. This is this, now this is the new covenant, guys, and we're going to celebrate communion in just a minute. This is God's new one-sided decree to mankind. Remember, a covenant is not a negotiation. A covenant is, I say this and this is how it is. Old covenant, obey and I'll bless you. Don't and I'll discipline you. It's all about performance. New covenant, notice. He took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them and said, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. My body will be given for you when you break those laws. I will provide pardon for you. God is love, but God is just. The soul that sins must die unless Christ dies in your place. And then his righteousness is attributed to the soul that believes. And Jesus said, likewise also... He took the cup after the supper saying, here it is. This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Remember, a covenant is one-sided. Jesus said, you know what? This is the new deal. The old deal was obey and you'll be blessed, disobey and you'll be punished. The new deal is when you disobey, it's okay. Not because we're sweeping it under the rug, but because Jesus is dying for your sins. He's taking the punishment for you. And that's God's covenant to man today. And you're either in agreement with that. You guys with me? You're either in agreement with that or you say, no, I don't like it. Can't we negotiate? Nope, you can't negotiate. But you can receive it. You can say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me, wash me, make me new. Verse 7 through 11 If the ministry of death, he's talking about the old covenant. The old covenant was good, but it didn't help you. If the ministry of death written on and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, when he comes down from Mount Sinai, he's like glowing, (laughs) you know? Moses Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. And God told him, you can't look at me and live. Tell you what, here's a little skinny place on the rock. I'm going to wedge you into the rock and I'm going to pass by, but I'm going to cover you and you'll just see my vapor trail. And the vapor trail made him light up. And Paul's saying, that's amazing. Guys, imagine if we all walked out of church and we were just like, LED is just, what happened to you? I was at church. We have a different kind of glow though, don't we? Glow of the Spirit of God. But physically, Moses, Moses lit up for a while. And, 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 and Paul's saying, they couldn't even look at his face. But it was passing. It wasn't permanent. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? How is it more glorious? Because it never stops. It never ends. The old covenant ended. A lot of Jewish people today are still trying to keep the law. And they can't. A lot, of, a lot of religious people, a lot of churchy people. Maybe you grew up in a church, and maybe, maybe this is resonating with you. Maybe you grew up in a church where it was all about how you looked, how you talked, what you did do, what you didn't do, the rules, don't slouch in your pew, 
You know, all, all these things, and it's all, it's all external. And you never felt like, you know, man, I need a heart change. There's part of me that wants to serve God, but, you know, every time I come to church, I feel bad. Oh, man, that just reminded me of something. I've got to be quick. I had a young lady tell me once, I used to teach the Bible to high school kids in about 1984, and, and one, one young lady, she said, you know what, Bill, we, we really love your Bible studies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. What's not to love, you know? And then she said, you know what? But we always leave feeling really bad. I was like, try harder. Quit sinning. Love more. I was just beating the sheep. And I realized that with my other hand, I was beating me. Because that's how I related to God. Through my failures. I knew the right thing to do, but all I could see was my failures. And I wasn't really accepting and appropriating to my own heart the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my sins. And if you're focused on your sins, guys, you're never going to say, here I am, Lord, use me, because you're always just going to be focused on what a failure you are. And if anybody could not have to beat themselves in the eyes of man, it would have been Paul. But Paul said, you know what? I, I exceeded everybody, but it's still rubbish compared to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, compared to being righteous in Christ. The Old Testament faded, I mean, the Old, the old Covenant faded away. Moses' face eventually quit glowing. The Old Covenant was superseded by the New Covenant. Verse 9. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even if even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, in one way, the Old Covenant wasn't glorious. In what respect? because of the glory that it excels. If you take a cute little diamond and set it here, and you, you walk up and go, man, that's amazing, it's on black velvet, and you get out the loop, you can see it's you know, not flawed, or it's just, it's just I mean, it's, it's a really nice little diamond, it would make a nice little earring stud or something, and, and here it is, and, it, and, it, and it's glorious in its own way. And then somebody walks in like this and, clomp, you know, and puts down this. Suddenly it's like, huh? Right? This is, that's glorious, but look at this thing. And that's what Paul's saying. And Paul's saying, you know what, you're asking me who made me sufficient and who made me an apostle and where's the proof? Well, God made me an apostle and you're the proof. And by the way, I know what it's like to have to prove myself. Because I used to have to prove myself all the time until I realized that I can't be right with God through my own actions and through my own obedience because at some point I fall short and I'm guilty. And I'm guilty. And what do I do with my guilt? Guys, it's good to feel guilty. It's good to feel wrong when you're wrong. And it'll do one of two things. It'll either drive you to God or you'll have to change the rules so you don't feel guilty anymore. You'll deny it or you'll self-medicate or you'll do some other thing. But that, that, that sense of failure isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing because that's when we can say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a, sinner. I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman. Change me. Fill my heart with your Holy Spirit. I don't want to be a religious guy going to a religious church with a bunch of rules that I can't keep and hate anyway. I want to walk in the freedom of your Holy Spirit. I want to have a life that's changed. Look at verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. The law was passing away. The glory of Moses' face was passing away. 
At first he wore a veil, but after a while he didn't need it because the glow was fading. Paul said, I know what it's like to try to serve God in my own power, and I can't. Today I can't help but wonder if some of us here are just in, in, the, in the state of mind that the old Paul lived in for so long. You're so worried about having to do everything right. It's good to want to do things right. Don't get me wrong. The word of God is, as I said, Romans 7 says, it's holy, just, and good. But it's not freeing because you're always concerned about stepping over a line or doing something wrong. If any man, the Bible says, if any man's in Christ is a new creation, the old life has passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's not that we don't bring some of our baggage with us and all that, but you're a new creature now. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have the power of God in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says it here in his own words. Uh, look at the end of verse 6. The letter kills. The Spirit gives life. If you're trying to be good enough for God, give it up today. Give it up. Surrender to Him. Don't be good to come to God. Come to God and He'll make you good. He'll change you. Amen, church? He'll change you. And this is what Paul's saying about his life. Guys, we don't need more rules. The way to have our lives changed is not more rules. I'm not against accountability. I'm not against having people, you know, keeping you, helping you stay on the straight and narrow. You can have all the accountability in the world and, and get around it. It all boils down always to a heart issue. Lord, I want to live for you. Help me, God. Empower me. Some applications down at the bottom of your page. If you have any questions, text them in and I'll try to answer them. Applications for us. Paul previously practiced his Jewish religion by his own might and strength. After becoming a Christian, he considered religion by works as rubbish. You can read that in Philippians 3. I encourage you to. As a Jew, Paul sought to justify himself by performance. Humanly speaking, he excelled. He would have been the best church guy that ever showed up. He sought to qualify to serve God. He served with violence and arrogance. He was so zealous that he was violent against people that disagreed with him. Paul approved of himself until he met the risen Jesus, Acts chapter 9. Maybe some of you have never met Jesus and you're here today and you haven't had that encounter with him yet. And you can today. You can say, Lord, I've been trying to change myself. I can't change myself. Lord, I, I need you. If you've never said yes to Christ today, when we have communion, we're going to invite you forward. Let, let communion be your way of saying, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I don't need a life. Jesus isn't your life coach, okay? He's your Lord and Savior. We don't need a life coach. We need a Savior. He'll coach you, but he's much more than a coach. That's my point. If you want to say yes to him today, come forward. And, Lord, I give my life to you. I've sinned against you. I deserve your judgment. I'm sorry. But thank you that you provided atonement for me. You provided payment for me. You provided forgiveness for me. Thank you for that. I receive it now and I want to commit my life to you. Change me from the inside. Not with a new dress code or a new do do do's and don'ts, but change me from the inside. Previously, Paul approved of himself to serve in a, in a religion that was fading away. Now Paul knew that it was, his sufficiency was from God in a religion, in Christianity, that will never fade away. For some of us today, maybe you're stuck on the hamster wheel of trying to make yourself better. 
Paul created the hamster wheel. And he says, all I did was run in circles. But he got off of that and started to walk down the road with God. So some of you today, maybe you just need, needed to hear this. You can't change. You can modify your behavior, but you can't change the nature of who you are. You, you can teach a lion not to buy the, bite the lion tamer, but you can't teach him to not be a lion. He's still a lion. Can a leopard change its spots? One of the prophets said in the Old Testament, can a leopard change its spots? No. But God can change his spots. So if you never said yes to Jesus, come say yes to him today. And if you have said yes to Jesus, but you're trying to do it on your own, put it down. And serve in the realm of the Spirit because the Spirit gives life. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. All that you do, it's an amazing life that you died to give us, Lord. So strengthen us in it, Lord. Be with us. Bless this congregation, Lord. Thank you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.